Pro Group Management. Workers' Comp that works for you. Welcome to Nevada Newsmakers. I'm Paul Enos, CEO of the Nevada Trucking Association, and today we're going to be talking to Colonel Tony Grady, candidate for U.S. Senate. That is next on an all-new Nevada Newsmakers. Big R in Sparks is located on Bering Boulevard next to Smith's and across from Reed High School. It's a 50,000 square foot clothing store and a whole lot more. For the cold days ahead, jackets, hoodies, flannel shirts, insulated bib overalls, thermal underwear, beanies, and merino wool socks. Big R. Hardware, clothing, and a whole lot more. Carson Valley Inn, your place for the good times. Carson Valley Inn. For 50 years, Nevada Heating has been keeping people comfortable in their home. At Nevada Heating, call the Do It Right guys and get the heat back on today. Call us today and we'll fix it today. That's the Nevada Heating way. Why freeze for days on end when Nevada Heating can get your furnace fixed today? Call us today and we'll fix it today at 323-5585 or schedule us on our website at nevadaheating.com. Save money and take transit. Did you know you can ride the bus all day for less than what it would cost you for a gallon of gas? Plan your trip now by going to RTC. What do you count on? You count on your power every day. At NB Energy, we've always powered what's important to you, but we're not looking at the past. We're focused on the future. While our standards are high, our rates will remain low, and our commitment to renewables isn't just meeting standards, but leading the way, because you can count on more than just your power. You can count on the company who brings it to you. That's our promise. You can count on it. This is Nevada Newsmakers with host Sam Shad on No Holds Barred Political Forum. Now, from the Nevada Newsmakers broadcast headquarters, here is Sam Shad. Welcome back to Nevada Newsmakers. We are here with a friend of mine. Actually, I sponsored him into the Elks uh, for full disclosure. Um, Colonel Tony Grady. Colonel, how are you? I am well. It's good to see you, Paul. Thank hey. you for having me on. Now, great to have you on. So, you know, I look at the United States Senate and, you know, kind of like what Donald Trump said about Mexico, uh, we're not setting our best. You know, that's kind of how I see the U.S. Senate today. But that's something that, uh, that a place where you want to go, you're, uh, you're working to go uh, in 2024. Tell me why. I want to go there. And, and first of all, to answer your question, we need to change that, that we're not sending our best. And you're correct. But I want to go because I do not like the trajectory that our country's on. We're spiraling down. This is the United States and we can do better. I have four children, four grandchildren. I want them to have better options. And so I'm entering into the fight because I have a skill set that can help our country get back on track. And I want to join with those that don't like the direction of our country and change it. That's why I'm running. Well, Tony, you talk about that skill set. And I mean, you look at your resume, you look at your life history. And I mean, you kind of had a really interesting life history starting out as a little kid. Right. So let's talk a little bit about that and kind of how some of those experiences would um, 
help inform decisions in the Senate? Well, I think what's important is people need to understand that my parents grew up in the Jim Crow South and that education was very important to them. My dad became a vocational ed professor that eventually got him in the Foreign Service. So what you're talking about is when he got into Foreign Service, we had the opportunity to live in Africa. I lived in Lagos, Nigeria. And then later, he was sent to Vietnam by the United States Agency for International Development for education. He was helping with secondary schools. So since the war was going on, we lived in Bangkok, Thailand, and I eventually graduated from high school there. So what's important about that is that I got to see different forms of government. I got to see the United States from the outside and from the inside. I've seen communism. I've seen socialism. They render their people in abject poverty. We don't want any of that here. So that's my childhood. It was from it was from uh, graduating in high school in Thailand that I went to the Air Force Academy because I became very patriotic. So I became a pilot, and then I became a test pilot. So, so I mean, test pilot, the yes. B two program. Yes, tell us about that. I mean, that's a pretty storied, uh, pretty storied plane. Yeah, it is. You know, and of course, it's going to go down as one of the um, most outstanding test programs that we had. It was a very safe program, and there were a lot of folks along the line that got to be involved in it. But I was the commander, directed everything uh, within the test squadron there during its most intensive testing time. So I'm a test pilot from the standpoint I tested it, but my responsibility was cost, schedule, and performance and managing the 113 people that were engineers, other test pilots, and uh, contractors. And what happened in our squadron is that we certified that the airplane met its requirements. So that's what we were going out and testing. We would uh, uh, make sure that it would meet uh, some of those uh, requirements so that it would meet what the Air Force was asking for. So it was a $24 billion program. And again, I was responsible for cost schedule and performance there at Edwards Air Force Base in terms of um, in the testing rule while our squadron was testing it. So test pilots are built a little differently. And you and I have kind of talked about this. Um, you know, there is, you know, an expectation that, hey, you may go up and you may not come back. You know, that's true. And back in the 50s, there were a lot of fatalities. But as we progressed, the test, test piloting community, the whole testing community tightened up. There are these things that are in place now called technical review boards and also safety review boards. And essentially, after we put those in place, it's very rare that you would have a fatality in the test program. And of course, the era that you were talking about, and a lot of people remember the movie The Right Stuff and um, Chuck Yeager. Great movie. Great movie. I liked it. it you know, it was Hollywood. <laughs> but I liked it. But uh, I, I actually got to know uh, Chuck Yeager a little bit and different things like that. But there were a lot of unknowns about aviation during those early days. Now, we have such good computer modeling, and we have a joke in the, uh, the test world. We have a joke that uh, you can't take off until the weight of the paper equals the weight of the airplane. So anyway, <laughs> you, you can understand that. So it's very tight and rigorous right now, and we know a lot more about basic aerodynamics. Our tools are better for modeling what's going to happen. So it's pretty rare. Well, I shouldn't say it's pretty rare. Let's just say that the the idea of fatalities is very low these days. 
now speaking of a place where unfortunately the fatalities haven't been low, um, was the Reno air races. You know, you came to Nevada and they said, Hey, we know a guy who would be a good air boss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the thing I would like to tell you about that is kind of an interesting story that although I became familiar with Nevada 42 years ago as a young Lieutenant, when I participated in red flag and that's the mock air war that's flown down out of Las Vegas in Nellis Air Force Base. So that's a, a, a pretty important thing because what we would do then is we m would model like the first few combat missions that pilots would have. And from study, they've shown that that increases the longevity of pilots during wartime. So all, units from all over the world come and they participate there. So 42 years ago, I flew over Nevada at 600 miles an hour. Uh, now I walk the trails in Nevada about two miles an hour. So what <laughs> happened is that eight years ago, a buddy of mine uh, convinced us that as we were looking to where we would move. We were in Dayton, Ohio at the time. Uh, we had finished raising our children in that they were out of college and out of the nest, and we wanted to move. And a friend of mine found out that we were looking at San Antonio, Texas, because it's an Air Force-friendly town. They said, no, 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 you, you got to look at Reno. You know, you got to come to Reno. And I go, so what part of Canada is that? And he goes, yeah, <laughs> you're geographically challenged. But it was my buddy, Walt Reed, who was a Fallon rancher. And he was right. We came and we looked at Reno and we house hunted in both places, San Antonio and Reno. We liked the mountains. We liked the high desert. We really liked the sun. But the deal changer was the people. So we really liked the people here. So I'm here and we're here and we're having a good time. And I go, this is the home of the air, Reno Air Races. So since I live in Reno, I should go to the Reno Air Races. So I go and I, I'm walking around. I look at a guy and I go, I know you. He goes, I know you. Turns out to be one of my classmates, my 1977 classmates from the Air Force Academy, Kevin Roll, who races jets. So he took me over to the jet tent to introduce me to the other jet pilots and all their support people. And I, I ran into Rick Vandom, who is a multiple winner of the Reno Air Races jets um, uh, sport class. He's, he's quite uh, the no notorious guy in Reno Air Races. His brother was in my squadron at the Air Force Academy, Dave Vandom. So I walked into an instant family when I came. <laughs> so a few months after that was when they were looking for an air boss and Rick contacted me and said that the air races were looking for an air boss. And of course, being the pilot with uh, no concerns about ego, I go, well, it has to do with aviation. Of course I can do it. Be careful what you ask for. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I... Uh, I volunteered and, and I got to learn under a very able aviator by the name of Greg Shifty Pierce. And I understudied him for two years as his deputy and then two years I was the air boss. And that's like the good cop, bad cop, trying to keep people from um, crashing in the air races and making sure that it's conducted in the fashion that the FAA has approved. Sure. So that's with, how I became the air boss. Well, hey, we are talking with Colonel Tony Grady here in Nevada Newsmakers, and we're going to be right back. Safety is the number one priority for the trucking industry. Over $7 billion a year is spent on technology like this electronic eye that will apply the brakes automatically. But the most important factor for safety is the truck driver. These hardworking men and women who safely move over 70% of our nation's freight and 94% of Nevada's. 
We thank you because trucks move America forward. Take a look at Pro Group Management and see how your workers' comp requirements can be met head on. By taking a proactive approach, Pro Group can assure that your company is meeting or exceeding state and federal standards. As you move forward in your industry, Pro Group moves with you, simplifying regulatory tasks, clearing the way so you can get the job done and look to your future success. Pro Group Management, workers' comp that works for you. Retail's impact on Nevada's economy? Enormous. 8,600 businesses, large and small, employing 145,000 workers. And last fiscal year, retail paid tax on nearly $60 billion in sales. We're the Retail Association of Nevada. We support retail, we help it grow, and we mean business. RANNV.org. The Nevada Builders Alliance has been protecting the interests of the construction industry for over 50 years. Our programs save members thousands of dollars every year and allow them to provide much needed benefits to their employees. Our industry also allows Nevada to grow. If you're thinking about a career in the construction industry, reach out. And if you haven't thought of a career in construction, what are you waiting for? We are the Nevada Builders Alliance. This is Nevada Newsmakers. Welcome back to Nevada Newsmakers. We are having a conversation with Colonel Tony Grady, a candidate on the for the Republican primary for the United States Senate. Let, let's talk about that. Um, you know, we, we talked about the Senate not sending their best. You know, what are the issues that you would look at trying to progress in Washington, D.C. for Nevadans? What I would do as a senator is I have three major issues that I would work on first. We need to get back to being energy independent. And the reason we need to do that is because once we make energy prices go down, the price of everything in the supply line goes down. You know, it's crazy, Tony. I say energy is the most important sector of the economy. Most important industry is energy. It is. It is because Everything is either transported by energy, it's made by energy, energy is everywhere. And there's no reason with the abundance that we have that we're not energy independent. So I would drill, um, open the Keystone Pipeline, drill in an Anwar, and uh, we would give real leases to the oil companies. Point two is I would secure the border. We are violating right now the Fourth Amendment, Section 4, uh, the federal government's responsibilities to prevent the states from being invaded. We're being invaded right now. And the problem is, is we're not enforcing our laws that are on the books. We need, to, we need to secure the border to stop human trafficking, which to me is modern day slavery. We need to stop the flow of fentanyl, which is the major killer of people 100%. from 18 to 45. And really kind of that asymmetrical war that China, you know, yes. they, they like those asymmetrical wars. They I do. mean, the they fentanyl do. import is part of that. They, it is, it is. And, you know, they, they claim in ignorance and they're, they're, they're shipping the parts to Mexico and the cartels are putting it together. Well, they and, have an understanding of history. You know, they're kind they of do. copying what happened, you know, with the opium wars yes. in, the, in the 19th century. Yes. And the other thing that you bring about that, and I'll come back to that. Let me get to point three first and then I'll Sorry. come back to that. But no. Uh, and then point three, which kind of relates to it, is we need to get the United States back to its proper place in the world, on the world stage. Because even though no country is perfect and all countries make mistakes. We have been considered the honest broker and when we lead, there's more peace in the world. 
I guarantee, or I can't guarantee anything, it's my thought that if the Biden administration had not been so weak, that Ukraine would have never happened, and of course, Hamas never would have invaded Israel. So those are the three main things. What I wanted to do to get back to China is that one thing that uh, Americans forget is that the Chinese have the long view. They're looking at a hundred year timeline. The problem with us is we look at a quarter timeline. Yeah. So when you have a hundred year timeline, you're very patient and you're very methodical in the way that you do things. We've got to get on board, like you said, with the long war that they have against well, us. Well, it's, you know, the, they're very smart and you know, they're looking at 2049 yes. as that 100th anniversary of, I don't know, is Red China still appropriate? I'm still going to call it that. Um, you know, the, the 100th year anniversary when they want to be the hegemon, the, yes. the rule of the world, which, yes. you know, the United States has kind of taken that role on, um, you know, in the last 30 years since the end of the Cold War. We have, but differently. And as you will hear our general say, and it's very interesting that I was just in an event with uh, uh, General uh, John Livingston, who is a Medal of Honor winner, he's a, a Marine Corps general, and it was just inspiring listening to him. But you will hear American generals say that people call us imperialists and we're not. The only thing that we ever ask for is a plot of land to bury our dead. So we're not imperialistic. We, we, people like to say it, and the left, who doesn't know anything, always says it is that, you know, we're imperialistic and everything. We, the last that I've seen, we haven't, like, taken over any land. I mean, honestly, <laughs> there's part of me that kind of wishes we were. I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, no, because there's things that go along with that. True. You know, and Alexander found that out. And, the Romans and, and found that have, out. And, I mean, you look, you know, yes. the last time when you can say, you know, America was imperialistic was probably Spanish-American War. Maybe. You know, when we got the Maybe. Philippines and we got sure. Cuba and we got Puerto Rico and stuff has changed since then. You know, they are now self-determined states. You yes. know, the Panama Canal, we gave it back. Jimmy Carter yes. gave it back to the Panamanians. So, yes, yes you're 100% you're right. We're not that imperialistic. In fact, you look at what the United States does. We, we, our Navy is what is out there protecting the global economy and keeping it working. And it's interesting that you mention that. Uh, people are not aware that there are like seven choke points on the face of the earth, one of them being the Straits of Malacca. And I like to focus on that one because the American Navy does make sure that those pathways are open. And people don't understand that those pathways need to be open so that commerce will go through. That's right. Well, in the Straits, Pirates still exist. Pirates exist and also related to why I look at the Straits of Malacca. It's not just the commerce, but about 80% of, of Japan's energy, oil, comes through there. So anything that starts happening to that, the Japanese are not real happy. And uh, if the Japanese don't get real happy, how about they just might arm to take care of it themselves? You know what I mean? And in the situation that we're talking about and around the world, that's not good. So what you're talking about in terms of me going to the Senate, we talked about that You know, when I was younger, I got to live in foreign countries. But I went to an Air Force strategy school, the School for Advanced Air Power Studies. Um, I understand military strategy, the use of the military instrument of power. I understand foreign policy and diplomacy. I understand the use of the economic instrument of power. And I don't know if we'll have time to get into it, but I ran my own 
biotech company for 11 years. You know what, we're going to talk about that. We're going to get to the biotech company. Right, right. Right after these messages with Colonel Tony Grady on Nevada Newsmakers. The casino industry drove Nevada's economy for decades. By the 1990s, however, the state's sole industry was in sharp decline. Many were losing their homes, many were leaving the state. Is Reno on track to be the Detroit of the West? Was an October 2010 Reno Gazette Journal headline. Nevada knew it was time for a change and a time to diversify. Story County took that lead, took risks, invested tens of millions transforming its desert into a place of opportunity and a future for Nevada families needing something new. That desert now provides thousands of high-paying tech, advanced manufacturing, and energy careers at companies like Tesla, Panasonic, Google, Switch, and Redwood Materials. Story County transformed Northern Nevada forever, and the tide of opportunity has raised all vessels through construction contracts, high-paying careers, and the power of payroll. Tens of millions have been generated in sales and property tax, permits, and other revenues for Reno, Sparks, Washoe County, and for all of Nevada. Enough, in fact, to generate a surplus after public services are provided. And best of all, a sustainable economic climate has been created, enabling our children to stay in Nevada and live prosperous lives in their home state. Story County, improving Northern Nevada one industry at a time. It's a good time to eat. It's a good time to play. It's a good time to win. As you know, Reno is booming. Toll's development company is helping it grow with insightful design and development, building community with every project, adding beauty, adding excitement, emphasizing our shared humanity. Reno is becoming bigger. Toll's development is helping it become better, more livable, more enjoyable. To learn more, go to tollsdevelopment.com, tollsdevelopment.com. This is Nevada Newsmakers. Welcome back on Nevada Newsmakers. We are here with Colonel Tony Grady, candidate for the United States Senate. We're talking about world affairs. We're talking about uh, your experience in the military. But you also have some private sector experience. And you and I have had a couple of pops at the Elks Lodge talking about biotech and nanotechnology and some of those things. So tell us about your private sector experience. Yeah, Besides that, FedEx, one of my yes. proud members of the Nevada Trucking Association. Well, because FedEx is key in our supply chain. But that's a whole other story. I can tell you about how an American business has affected people around the world and has been very positive. But specifically, you asked me about uh, my company. It was Centerbotics. I ran it for 11 years. We were going to make minimally, minimally to non-invasive surgical devices, either to collect data, uh, deliver uh, whatever needed to be delivered, and that's, that sort of thing. Um, and uh, some specific, in some areas, uh, pediatric applications. But at any rate, I found out, Paul, what it's like when you put your capital at risk. You know, we were one of the companies that, that, that didn't survive. But we had a good 11-year run, and I learned a lot about regulations, and I learned about the whole process there. And I consider it great. Um, part of the reason we were where we were is that I promised my wife I wouldn't put the, the kids' college uh, uh, funds at risk. So I had a limit. She, she put a leash on me. Uh, <laughs> but 
In biotech and nanotechnology, nanotechnology has a bad name, unfortunately, because of all the bad stuff they did during COVID. But your, your listeners need to understand that nanotech is just a form of manufacturing. It means if we were to build this table with regular manufacturing, you go out to the, to the forest, get a tree, cut it down. Nano, you build it atom by atom. So yeah, the idea- there's no waste products. There's no waste products. That, that's all nano means. It doesn't mean that there's some boogeyman that's gonna kill you, you know, that sort of thing. But that's my, ex, my experience there. We, um, what happened to the things. technology with the company that you started? Well, the technology was good, but I had uh, uh, two things that, that um, hampered us. When I was looking for money and ready to execute, we didn't have the funding that we needed. We needed about 750000 to start R&D and about $1 million to get to prototype. Right at the time when I had met with an Angels uh, uh, CPA for the second time and he was ready to fund our R&D portion of it, my chief technology officer um, started having certain problems at home because you know what, what it's like sure. uh, when you run a startup. He and I were friends from school. I knew he and his wife before they were married. My kids and his kids were friends. We went to church together. I'm a family man. So when he had to step away, literally, I, I couldn't find anybody to replace him. I searched high and low for, for three years. Now, we get to the end of this because I get these folks who are spurring me on. We really need to do this. And right when we had our second big push, the Japanese went into prototype and we hadn't started R&D yet. So we were just too far behind. It was a bridge too far. So that's what happened to it. We well, had hey, to shut it down. You know, you can learn as much as a, from a successful business is one that doesn't quite get to where you want. In fact, exactly. you might learn more. <laughs> All right. Hey, Tony, I've really appreciated the conversation today. Thank you so much for uh, coming on and uh, talking to me and talking to reviewers. Um, always enjoy this and uh, look forward to having another pop with you at the lodge. Thank you. I, I want to do that and aim high, Nevada. I'm running to be your next U.S. Senator. Thank you. All right. We're going to be right back on Nevada Newsmakers. Imagine a magical garden that feeds Carson City's hungry and homeless, teaches our high school students agriculture, creates hanging floral displays to beautify downtown, and yet charges nothing. It's not magic. It's the Greenhouse Project. It's real. It's growing. And it needs your help. Go online to CarsonCityGreenhouse.org so together we can grow it forward. 7 at 7 is a newscast built for your smartphone. It's a 7-minute newscast available every weekday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. at LVRJ.com. We don't waste your time and we give you the day's top stories. We at the RJ have noticed some similarities between us and a certain BTS character RJ. Plus the latest in Las Vegas business, weather, health, and entertainment news. <laughs> 7 at 7 streaming now on your smartphone. Modern Boutique Ahern Hotel and Event Center sits at the heart of the Las Vegas Strip. Two floors of meeting and event space are ideal for groups and conventions. Stay in one of 200 luxurious rooms and suite. Brand your event throughout the property. Flexible event spaces make for easy planning and personalization. Take over the entire hotel with a full buyout option.
If you've missed any of today's show or any of our shows, you can find us at NevadaNewsmakers.com where we have a whole archive that's searchable pretty easy. Thank you for watching and listening.